Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is the Feast of the Holy Trinity. This day is a bit distinct from the other feasts of the church year. Because the others like Christmas or Easter or Good Friday or the Ascension, these all recognize events that took place in time and they focus on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A couple of the other feasts which recognize the, the saints also recognize the work of Christ through his church. But on this day, on the Feast of the Holy Trinity, we confess who our triune God is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, not three, not three gods and not one person. Now, of course, mathematically, three, you know, one person, the Father, one person, the Son, and one person, the Holy Spirit, should not equal one God. But yet that is exactly who God is, and that is how he has revealed himself to us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. And yet we heard, holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, acknowledging the Holy Trinity at creation. We heard here that the Holy Trinity is or was at work. God, the Holy Trinity remains at work even to this day. In the benedictions, we recognize the Holy Trinity as the name of God is mentioned three times. But yet one God. How can this be? We may ask as Nicodemus asked in today's gospel. Many trying to ascertain what the scriptures is saying concerning the Trinity have fallen into traps, false belief in their attempts so that because they're trying so hard to come up with a rational explanation for something that our minds cannot wrap our heads around. Is the doctrine of the Holy Trinity confusing? The answer is yes when we think about it. But our inability to comprehend the mystery of the Holy Trinity does not diminish who God is. It does not diminish how he reveals himself to us, nor does it diminish what he has done for us and for our salvation. Instead, we as God's people, baptized into the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, we boldly confess who he is as he has revealed himself to us in the sacred scriptures. We have three creeds. We call them the ecumenical creeds. They are the confession of the Christian church. They're not to be safeguarded by any one particular denomination or only confessed by one particular denomination. They were written to settle doctrinal disputes and controversies over the doctrine of the Holy Trinity and the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They profess the one true triune God, and anyone who rejects the creeds cannot be counted as a faithful Christian, 
But we must also note that those who may find portions of the creed to be questionable need to talk to their pastor to learn why we confess what we confess. Unfortunately, in many churches, the creeds which are confessed are just viewed as a historic custom, that they are not viewed by many as being binding upon the people who are confessing them. They are not understood, that is, the creeds, as something faithful Christians must believe in. But when we confess these creeds here at Grace Lutheran Church, we do so recognizing that they are giving a true confession a true explanation of God, of the God who created us, the Father, God the Son who redeemed us, and God the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. If these creeds were not true, or should they contain false teaching, we would not be wasting our time in this congregation confessing them. But I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that we do not do things merely out of historic ritual or custom in this congregation. Instead, we do what we do. We confess what we confess. We teach what we teach. We sing what we sing because we believe that we are being faithful through these ways of worship to God the Holy Trinity in accordance with the Holy Bible. But, you might be thinking, okay, I guess I need to make an appointment with my pastor because we just confessed the Athanasian Creed and there's some things in this creed that are confusing to me at best or aren't they even false doctrine? We confess this creed but once a year on Trinity Sunday and there's some parts that are hard to get. Concerning this creed, Dr. Martin Luther stated, I doubt whether the New Testament church has a more important document since the apostolic age. What he was saying is that after the New Testament was written and completed, he could come up with no other document more important than this Athanasian creed, which we confessed this morning. And while this creed is true and attempts to offer clarity concerning God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the relationship of these three persons of the Trinity with each other, there are some aspects of the Athanasian Creed that are simply confusing. The first one begins right off the bat, and it mentions that word Catholic, about this Catholic faith. If you notice on page 319 in the Athanasian Creed, the word Catholic is lowercase. It is lowercase because it is not referring to a particular Christian denomination. That is, it is not speaking of the Roman Catholic Church, which is a denomination. Instead, the word Catholic, which you see at the beginning of the Athanasian Creed and also at the end of the Athanasian Creed, that word means in the Creed is universal or Christian. About half the world's Christians belong to the Roman Catholic Church. 
And by them using the word Catholic, they are claiming that they are the universal and Christian church. When we say Catholic, we are saying that we belong to that universal or Christian church. It's not a denomination, but we belong to a church of Christ that spans denominations. We are members of the one holy Christian and apostolic church. Of course, the word Catholic has lost its meaning in our language because of its strong association with that denomination. You could also say the same about the word orthodox. While this word is not found in the Athanasian Creed, it is a word that is misunderstood today. To be orthodox, according to its classic sense, means that you hold to the truth of the word of God that you do not hold to false teaching. Those who hold to some Christian truths and mingle them with false teachings are considered heterodox, but those who hold to the truth are orthodox. But you may realize that there are two or more denominations, one called the Eastern Orthodox Church and one called the Russian Orthodox Church, What they're doing is they're claiming that they are truly orthodox, that their word is true. And both of these churches were united as one until about a thousand years ago, the Catholic and Orthodox churches, and then they split, taking good Christian words and assigning them to themselves. Another word that's misunderstood in our day is the word evangelical comes from the Greek word for the gospel, meaning that our focus is on our Lord Jesus Christ. The name of our Christian, of our own congregation, is named Grace Evangelical Lutheran Church. Yet many churches claim to be evangel- which claim to be evangelical insist that you must be born again through a personal conversion experience. Sometimes people who study church bodies and religious trends talk about American evangelicalism using a general word for all those who say that being born again involves a personal conversion experience, usually so that they can name and pinpoint the day and the hour that they became a Christian. And let me tell you that they are not referring to their baptism day and hour when they were an infant. So for them, the focus of being born again is on the individual and not on Christ. And they generally do not baptize babies because for most of them, baptism is nothing but an indication that they had already received a personal conversion experience. About a quarter of the world's Christians consider themselves to be born-again or evangelical Christians. But that's not what is meant when we call ourselves evangelical. For when we describe ourselves as evangelical, we are describing ourselves as one who fo- ones who focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God himself has called us by the gospel. He has enlightened us with his gifts. He sanctifies us by the Holy Spirit. He directs us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said to Nicodemus that you must be born again in today's gospel. What he meant by that is not to have some sort of personal conversion experience, but instead that your rebirth through the Holy Spirit is an act of God, through the word of God, through baptism, to convert sinners from spiritual death to spiritual life. We are born again in our baptism. And for those who come to faith as older individuals, not as infants, through their baptism, we do acknowledge that they can come to faith prior to their baptism, that they're born again uh, as they believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But they will still confess that they are regenerated, born again, through the baptism by which they are added into Christ's holy, one holy and apostolic church. And so as faithful Lutherans, we can certainly consider ourselves to be evangelical. That is, not insisting on a personal conversion experience, but that we preach the gospel. We can consider ourselves as Catholic. That is, not members of that one denomination, but that we are Christians in the the one apostolic church. And we can consider ourselves orthodox, that is, not Eastern Orthodox, but adhering to God's truth. So I think that's enough on that word Catholic. Now, another area of confusion on the Athanasian Creed is where it says, toward the end, at his coming, all people will rise again with their bodies and give an account concerning their own deeds. And those who have done Good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. What? Doesn't this speak against the very fact that we are justified by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ alone, and that we are saved not by our works? My dear friends, This does not, in fact, contradict what we Lutherans believe, teach, and confess. In fact, these words in the Athanasian Creed are essentially a quote from the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said in John chapter 5, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That, my friends, is what Jesus said. And this language of Jesus and the Athanasian Creed is also echoed by St. Paul in his very important letter to the Romans. In that epistle... God the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle to write such important and grace-filled words such as, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or we also hear these wonderful words in Romans 3, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of God. The law. To be justified is to be forgiven. Salvation comes to us by faith apart from what we've done. And also, it is written in Romans, for all who have sinned and fall 
short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So all have sinned, so all have done evil. How can they then be raised to the resurrection of life? But Paul tells us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Again, these words are filled with gospel. They match exactly what we Lutherans believe, teach, and confess. And they seem to, in a sense, contradict the words of Jesus and the words of the Athanasian Creed. But Paul, who said and wrote the very words that I just read to you, writes in Romans chapter 2 these words, God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, for the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Thus the blessed apostle in that most wonderful book, of Romans. Is Paul contradicting himself? Is it a different Paul who wrote Romans 2 from the Paul who wrote Romans 3? Or is the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write these things contradicting himself? Certainly not. So then what do we make of this? Well, we must understand Jesus in John 5 and Paul in Romans 2 in the Athanasian Creed by looking at the rest of Scripture, but also by looking at these passages from Romans especially within their own context. Even, even John 5, when we look at that within its context, it provides much light and clarity. And that is, we are counted as good, or having done good works when we walk by faith in Christ the crucified one. So those who believe are counted righteous, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. And those who do not believe, so those who are apart from faith, as Isaiah declares, their righteous acts are like filthy rags. And though our sins are like scarlet, as Isaiah declares, we shall be as white as snow because when the gospel is applied to us, our sins, the evils that we have done, are taken away. And the righteousness of Christ the good works that he did, his own perfection is credited to us so that the Father does not see us as the sinners that we are when we walk by faith, but he sees us as holy and righteous in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, after all, what it means to be clothed in Christ's righteousness, and that's what happens when we are baptized into Christ, when we are born again by water and the Spirit, as Jesus teaches in our gospel. So it boils down to this. Those who believe in the Holy Trinity, trusting in him, are credited with having fulfilled the law of God. Their sins are taken away, and God no longer views us as having done evil. Instead, he sees in us as having do done every form of good, not through our outward actions, but because we are credited with Christ's very righteousness, and so he by grace saves us. 
But for those who do not believe, they remain in their sin. Their good works toward their fellow man, though necessary and good and of great help for their fellow man, those good works remain tainted with sin, and those unbelievers will perish eternally in their sin. In today's gospel, Jesus taught the true reality of our human nature. When he said those simple words, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. There we recognize that Adam sinned. He brought the entire creation into sin by his own sinful act. He begot sinners. And that is what has continued all the way down to us. If the first child Adam and Eve had grew up to become a murderer, do not think that you are somehow more righteous by your own fallen nature than Cain himself was. If you want to know why your children have behaved so poorly, just look at yourself in the mirror because they have inherited the same their sin from you. And don't go on blaming your spouse as if you feel that you have inherited less of a sinful nature than your spouse did. Because all have inherited the same flesh of Adam. All of us, as our Lutheran confessions rightly state, were born without fear of God, without trust in God, and with concupiscence, that is, with evil lusts and inclinations. We were not born neutral in which we can somehow choose the good or the bad. But when we were born, having inherited the sin of Adam, we were, we were born enslaved to the nature to which we have inherited, that is, sinners, chained to Satan's domain, unable to set ourselves free, and ones who are inclined to do evil. When God looked down at his creation, he saw that they had done evil all the time before sending the flood. But Jesus then declares, that which is born of spirit is spirit. We cannot, who, are dead, who have been dead in our sins and trespasses, make ourselves spiritually alive. We cannot unchain ourselves from Satan's domain. We cannot open our eyes and make ourselves alive through some sort of decision. But instead, Jesus comforts us by bringing about a spiritual rebirth in us. The valiant one, Christ Jesus our Lord, fights for us. He was sent by his Father to rescue us from the filth and misery of our own sins, to free us from Satan's kingdom, and to, to, to deliver us from the power of death. Our Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up as the crucified one on the cross, just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, thereby saving those who were bitten by snakes. And we who have been deceived by the serpent, inheriting the flesh of Adam, 
Christ our Lord comes as our advocate. The Holy Spirit reveals to us Christ so that God converts us through his own work. And therefore, the impossible weight of all of our sin had been placed on Jesus who died in our place. He offers for us the all-sufficient atoning sacrifice for all of our sin. And he kept in our place the perfect law of God, which Jesus himself that we must also keep. When he declared in his Sermon on the Mount, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So when we abide in Jesus by faith in him, faith which God the Holy Spirit has worked in us, God credits us with keeping the entire law of God. He takes away our sin and declares us to be righteous. For by faith you are seen by God the Father, not as the poor, miserable sinner that you rightly confess that you are according to your fallen nature, but instead God sees you as perfectly righteous, pure and holy, as Christ himself is righteous, through that new man which is renewed and regenerated daily in you by Christ through the Holy Gospel and through the Lord's Supper. What more freeing reality can we have? And so we keep on confessing the truth of the Holy Trinity, even boldly confessing the Athanasian Creed. For salvation comes only through the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is why Jesus so boldly taught us that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It is true. We will not die in our sin, but because we have been called by the gospel and enlightened by his gifts, we shall live and we shall be like him for he is restoring us to the image of his son. And so we continue on this day and all days, Worship the Trinity in unity and the unity in Trinity. To him be glory forever. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. An offering for the Lord will now be received. And following that, we will invite the officers to come forward for that installation. So first the offering, then the installation of officers.